Well, I trust you found, uh, I found this series in Ephesians just so challenging and so encouraging, so refreshing. I trust that's been your experience too. These first three chapters of Ephesians are, are interesting chapters. There's no instruction for Christian living. There's no list of do's and don'ts. There's no directives for us to follow. There's just a whole heap of blessings and privileges for us through relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of those will come up on the screen for us now. Let's just recap what, what those blessings and privileges are. Chosen, people who are chosen, who are predestined, who are accepted. When we come into relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we're sealed with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. We're made alive in Jesus with a promise to spend eternity in his presence forever. We're saved by God's grace through faith. Nothing to do with our own performance. No need to measure up. We're individually given a mission in life, a purpose, because God created us to be his workmanship. Even for us who are Gentiles because of Jesus, we have access to our Father God. No longer aliens, no longer strangers, but members of God's household. Then we're given a mission as a church. Mission as a church that we might display God's wisdom even to the principalities and the powers, the rulers in the heavenly places. What an amazing, what an amazing mission that is for us. Then we can approach God's throne with freedom and with confidence. I don't know about you, um, it's almost like we can just meditate on those. Look at that, those couple of screens there. Pray and go home. There's so much for us to rejoice in today. Such are our blessings through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we won't do that because now we're coming to chapter 4. And now we get to our part of the relationship. So the first three chapters of Ephesians have looked at the privileges we have as God's people. Now we get over into chapter 4 and we look at our responsibilities in the relationship. But I want to make it clear. These responsibilities in our relationship with God... And not so that we will merit our salvation, not so that we will somehow earn our favour with God. As we've, as we've seen, we are already saved by grace. Grab hold of that through faith. That's the free gift. So what, what we're urged to do now is to live a life, as Paul writes. I, I beg you, I urge you that you will live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. And so today I want to pose a question. What does it mean for us to live a life that is worthy of the calling we have received how we know when we've had success what will it look like when we've journeyed into that how will we know that we've fulfilled our calling well Paul gives us a picture in verses 12 and 13 and he said that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ so the aim of our life together is to mature as his church, to mature individually in our relationship with God, but to mature collectively as God's people. And so that our lives collectively might correspond and reflect the life of Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's a sign um, of us living a life worthy. And so we've got this picture Paul gives us in this passage of Christ, the head of the church, mature and complete. And for us, the body, the body, his church, not yet mature, incomplete. 
but on a journey of growing into fullness to reach maturity. So what does maturity look like? Well, when we're mature and complete, a mature and complete person and church uh, has two characteristics. And the first one is unity. And as far as our unity goes, there are two types of unity. There's one that we need to work hard to maintain. So Paul writes, writes this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We've got to make an effort for that. Sometimes I think we have this unrealistic view of what church life together is going to be like. We have a view of perfection. And when we have disunity and when we have struggles and when we have hurt and when we have pain, some of us can get really despondent and really upset and want to walk away. Now, make no mistake, God's plan for the church is to live in unity together and to grow in unity together. That's his call on us and that's the sign of our maturity. But... That maturity comes through struggle and it comes through pain, it comes through hardship. And Sue, thank you for sharing that part about the battle you've had this week. Because that's a picture for us, just there in an individual life that we could all mirror at different times of our own lives, that we have collectively together. We're on a journey towards maturity and we need to deal with those. We're God's work in progress. He, by his spirit, is refining us individually and he's refining us collectively. And what we're called to do is to persevere and to be refined in that process. I know most of the growth in my life, that growth to maturity has happened in the hard times, in the hard struggles, where in relationships it's been like iron sharpening iron, but where God has refined me in some very hard situations of life. And that's our struggle. Paul, writing to Colossians in Colossians 3.13, he put it this way, endure one another. Doesn't sound like much fun, does it? <laughs> Here you go, church. Endure one another. Another translation says, put up with one another. Huh? Put up with one another. I mean, those verses free us from the expectation that church is going to be perfect. One day it will be. One day Jesus is coming back and all things will be made new. But in the meantime, Paul shows us that this is a struggle. Why? Because some of us are grumpy, some of us are critical, some of us are self-righteous. How do I know that? Because I'm like that myself from time to time. And God hasn't finished refining me or growing me. And friends, I've got news there's refining and growing in all of us to take place. So what Paul's writing is, make every effort, persevere, keep on going. And as he says, as he writes there, there are two keys for us to do that. And that is to learn to live together with humility and gentleness. Humility and gentleness. And the next one is to live together with patience and forbearance. And I've, known that, and I've known that those characteristics have needed to be and still need to be refined in me as an individual. And how do we do that as a church? We need to keep learning and growing in that. 
So firstly, we need to make every effort. The second aspect of our unity is an interesting one. It's a given. It's something we already have. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And this unity reminds us that because of Jesus, we are one. No matter what the outward circumstances might be, we are one in Christ. We're one because we can only come to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. There is only one way. We've all had to come that way. And what this type of unity reminds us is the things that bind us our sinfulness, our brokenness, our need of a saviour and new life and all the privileges that we looked at before, they unite us and they are much greater than the differences that could ever divide us. So take hold of that unity, Paul is saying. So whether we like it or not, and I certainly like it, we're all in this together. We're on a journey together. We are people who are united by the Spirit of God and God will do his work growing us and maturing us at his church. Then the second characteristic of a church that is mature is a strange paradox. It's unity in diversity. How can you be diverse and unified at the same time? Paul writes, but to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He gave gifts to his people. And so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Unity is not uniformity. They are vastly different. Unity speaks of oneness. Uniformity speaks of sameness. Uniformity demands that Someone will change or conform, or that we'll all change or conform. And so that's why you know, uniforms are worn to school. And some schools have pretty strict discipline reaction. If you don't wear your full school uniform, you're in trouble. Uniformity requires us all to be the same, to model ourselves along the same line. And in contrast, university, uh, un un unity values differences. Unity values differences. It acknowledges that people have different views, different personalities, and yet we can be one in purpose and in spirit. And that's so important when we come to talk about gifts. Because the gifts, the unleashing of the gifts in a church that are going to help us appreciate one another and let us know that we can't live life without each other. We can't make this life on our own. And it will bring us together in greater unity. When I was younger, in my mid-twenties, I had a picture of what a committed Christian was to look like. And it was a, a pretty um, narrow picture. It was a picture of, if you like, uniformity. It was like when you wanted to get serious um, with God, when you committed yourself fully to God, you needed to go to Bible college and become a pastor or to go overseas and become a missionary. I had this very uniform view. It was shaped by a time I was living in and the church I was attending. And it was a way that there seemed to be a 
a spiritual pathway for some people that wanted to go this way and there was a kind of a secular pathway for others that would choose not to go that way. It was a kind of a dualism of life in many ways. I remember I went to Northside Reachout, 1982, before some here were born. Um, But now it was a crusade. Now, a crusade for the younger generation, I might have to explain what a crusade is. We don't seem to have them anymore. It's a mass gathering of people. When a gifted evangelist comes, and in this case to Sir Knife Showground, and people come from everywhere and the gospel's presented, and a response, well, the invitation is given. You know, someone says, the bustles will wait. Come forward here now and make your commitment to Christ. And people's lives are changed. And I went there. I was already a committed Christian, but the Spirit of God was working in my life that night particularly. And I remember for the first time in my life praying, Lord, whatever it is you want me to do, I will do. Wherever it is you want me to go, I will go. From tonight, you are the most important person in my life. I can remember praying that. So what was I to do? What did it mean? I just started my own accountancy practice a year before. But my uniform idea of what a committed, serious Christian was, was someone that was going to start to go to Bible college, investigate becoming a pastor. So what was I meant to do? To sell off my accounting practice and then go. I'm just very thankful for mature Christians that have been put around me at different times of my life. And one of those was a retired missionary from Thailand. And he knew where my journey was up to and he knew what I was considering and he took me aside and he said, Brian, don't think just because you've now got serious with God, you've got to go off to Bible college and become a pastor. God needs committed Christians in the business world, the workplace, as much as he needs them in the pulpit. How true is that? He said, but I'm not putting you off going to Bible college. I'm not putting you off becoming a pastor. What I suggest you do is you take some time during the week to go and study at Morning College and do your Bible course part-time. So I did that. I took two days, two mornings off each week and went down to Morning College and, um, and sat there along with people. Phil Kelshaw was there at the time because he was preparing to go and be a missionary. And I sat there and had the opportunity to talk to other people around there that were studying theologically. And I recognised that what a lot of them were training to do was to go overseas on the mission field or actually to be a pastor in a church, in a pastor-teacher role. And the more I sat in that type of environment, the more I realised that this really wasn't me. This wasn't me. My gifts weren't to preach every Sunday morning and every Sunday evening and midweek Bible study, which was the model of pastor teachers that were churned out. Wasn't it then, Keith? Yeah. Model of pastor teachers that were churned out in the 80s. That was your role. And so what was I to do? They weren't my gifts. And God wasn't calling me, I knew, to overseas. Then some years later, I did a shape course. A shape course, and I'll explain that a little later, and I discovered that my primary gift was apostleship. I'm a starter, a pioneer, yes, a part-time church leader. 
I discovered that God has given me that gift and that ability to start up new things, to start my own business and to help others engage in business, to get our sports centre, for example, um, off the ground along with others, um, to get engaged with the Solomon Islands or with Care and Concern Ministries or the stuff we're doing in the Kimberleys. I'm not talking about those in a way to big note what I'm doing. I'm saying that's where my gifts were. And it was a revelation to me to know that the role of an apostle and a prophet and an evangelist and a pastor and teacher still exist in the church today. Whereas many people would write those things off. I'm so thankful for that missionary, a fellow called Roy Ferguson, because had I continued to go to college full-time, I wouldn't have been fulfilled in that. I'd be like a fish out of water. And any church that I went as a full-time pastor, teacher, would have been throwing their hands up. So for that reason, friends, I'm passionate about you finding your gift, the way that God's given you. Because the church needs you. The church needs the diversity of gifts because that's how we're going to build our unity together. The church needs to look at new opportunities to stretch out into this world. And if I can be as blunt to say, friends, you do for your own fulfilment in life, need to find out specifically how you have been gifted and, how and where God wants to uh, use you. I love serving God out of my gifts. That's my worship. And that's where I feel fulfilled. And I want to give you that opportunity to discover those gifts for yourself, no matter what age you might be, no matter what experience in life you might have had. Because this SHAPE course is all about finding our spiritual gifts. That's what the S stands for. The H is, what is our heart? What are our abilities? What's my personality? What's my life experience? And each of those things through all the different gifts, the way God has shaped your heart, the different abilities he's given you, the different personality he's given you, the different life experience he's given you, will shape you for a, a ministry in the church and a mission in the world. And it's something that will be truly edifying for you. See, we are utterly dependent on each other. In the same way as our eye is dependent on our hand, the last thing you know, an, an, an eye needs is a whole lot of other eyes around them. They need to have other parts of the body. And this is an opportunity for us to, um, to move forward and discover those ourselves. Why? Why do that? So that we may be built up to maturity. So that we may arrive at the full stature of Christ, as Paul writes. That's what God wants to do amongst us. A couple of um, months ago, Brad gave us one of uh, the kids' talks and he talks about ducks. You probably remember the story. You know, the ducks were going to church one Sunday and they all waddled out of their house and they waddled down the road and they waddled into the church and they waddled down the aisle and then they sat in their pews and the dock pastor got up and he said, Look, ducks, I've got good news for you. Ducks, you can fly. Ducks, you can fly like eagles. Ducks, you know, no fences will contain you and, and no... Uh, land animals will be able to consume you. Ducks, you can fly. And they all said, Amen. And they all waddled home. Right? I don't want you to be sitting here today. Yeah, Brian, that sounds all good about spiritual gifts, right? Just walk out. There'll be an opportunity to engage in that. Right? So there'll be a, a survey that comes out. And I'd urge you, 
something for us to do together. We'll be doing that in, in term four. Um, Brad and Emma and uh, Kerry and Keith have been engaged in bringing a team together to do that. And I'm sure you'll find that exciting and fulfilling as we grow into maturity together, as God grows us as his people. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do want to praise you and thank you. You are a good, good God. Lord, we're not people that just have to believe in you remotely. Father, you've come to dwell in us by your Spirit. And you've given us a mission. You've given us gifts. And you call us to live out of those gifts that we might impact the world. That we might grow together in unity. Not be uniform, but grow together in unity unity through all our diversity to impact this world. Father, thank you. What an amazing blessing that is. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.